Welcome, folks, to the eighth episode of No Conference for Old Men, the podcast where now three old guys are talking Houston Cougars basketball with some Big 12 conference coverage as well. We're through Feast Week, plus our Cougars had their first statement win over Xavier in the Big 12 Big East Challenge, and we're now readying for our final big non-con game versus Texas A&M before conference play begins. Big week or so ahead before the holiday break arrives. And today, we again have Bill Walker for a third week in a row to co-host with Tom Lidiak and myself. If he keeps this up, we're formally going to become a triplet hosting this show, just like we had originally imagined. And like last week, we'll start off with a summary of the two Houston Cougar games that were played, move into a preview of the upcoming games, then highlight some of the key Big 12 games to watch for as well. Okay, so let's get right into it, gentlemen. In recapping the two games played, let's just spend a few minutes on the Montana game, then focus on the vast majority of the time analyzing the Xavier win. Also, we're not going to cover the Rice game since we're recording this before it's been played, but we'll just assume a win at this point, given their number 220th ranking in Ken Palm, plus the fact that we just don't want to give that team across town any airtime. So with that, Tom... What are your coach's thoughts on our 79-44 win over Montana? Okay, Steve, as far as uh, the Montana game, from a coaching perspective, Montana did run, uh, you know, a little 3-2 zone. So we got to look at, you know, our zone offense. And I'm not sure, you know, how many possessions Montana ran it. But uh, I recall I put some notes down here. It looked like we attacked the zone pretty well. We didn't get stagnant. We got good shots against it. So, you know, that's always a good sign against a team that runs zone. You don't see a whole lot of zone defenses in college basketball, probably because of the three-point shot. You know, a lot of times you run zone, you're, you're vulnerable to the three-point. Uh, overall, the Montana game, kind of similar to some of the other games we played, some really good basketball at first, and then it, we, we kind of just kind of get stagnant. You know, when you get like a 25, 30-point lead, you just kind of plateau off. You know, you get a little bit of sloppy play. But we did what we had to do, and, you know, hopefully the coaching staff, you know, use that game and the players use that game to – to improve. Those were my thoughts on the Montana game. Nice. How about you, Bill? What'd you think? Well, to begin, I, and I was at the game, I, I kind of messed up. I told some people around me that the over under on Ryan Alvin getting into the game was going to be four and a half minutes. And I, <laughs> I was almost two minutes off on that prediction. So uh, <laughs> pretty close. Though. That's pretty I apologize close. for that. What surprised <laughs> me though, was that you know, against a much weaker opponent, you would think that some of the players that Calvin would want to see, you know, get some playing time so that they can work on some of the things they need to work on would occur. And Mylek Wilson came into the game for the first time with Ryan Elvin. That kind of surprised me. But the number one point I want to bring up about that game, and this will be it, is I kind of focused on the guy that I'd mentioned last time, the seventh year player, the guy that's older than all of us that on social security, so forth, uh, Anon <laughs> Moody. They're, he's their leading scorer, their two guard. He's a really solid outside shooter. He's a pretty good player. I was fascinated by the fact that Calvin had Cryer on him the entire game. Moody stayed in maybe a minute longer than Cryer did before all, all the benches were emptied. Cryer was on him. Every second that he played, he if Moody went out for a little bit, that would have been the time that Cryer took a break and came back in. Cryer played so hard. He was unbelievable defensively. I was so impressed with how hard he played. And Moody, their their leading scorer, 
shot 0 of 5. He only got off five shots, and he did not score a point. I think that's a huge tribute to not only how hard uh, LJ is playing, but the fact that he is absolutely bought into Kelvin's system, and, and he's just doing, overall, I think, doing a great job. Completely agree. Yeah, I'll interject here, uh, Bill and Steve, but, yeah, I think that's a, a pleasant surprise LJ's defense, you know, it's not just on the ball defense, individual defense. It's also uh, team defense, you know, being where you're supposed to be when your man doesn't have the ball and and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, it appears that he is he's totally bought in and embraced the culture of of Kelvin Sampson and the Cougs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the starters, it was the same: Shed, Cryer, Dunn, Roberts, and Francis. We continue to see more of the four out, one in lineup with Arsenal with the four. And at this point, I'm willing to state that this is no longer an experiment and it just represents the way we will play this season for at least half the game when Francis and Roberts are not on the floor together. We started fast yet again, never looked back, winning every quarter of the game and we were up 41 to 14 at the half. Everyone got to play. Only Cryer was the one that played more than 30 minutes and my guess is that was to ensure that he's as comfortable as possible heading into the Xavier game. LJ Cryer and Jamal Shedd were the stars as you would expect. Cryer being 5 of 12 from 3 and he was a plus 22.2 in player box score plus minus when on the court and Shedd with 13.7 assists with only one turnover was a plus 21. But the one player I will single out is Sharp. Right. Sharp had 11 points and six rebounds, but a staggering plus 24.8 while on the court, while Dunn struggled in this game. Arsenal played a meaningful 19 minutes with four points and nine rebounds, but was a minus 7.3 while on the court. Now, from an analytics perspective, I'm not going to burn too many cycles on this one, but we played to standard across the offensive statistics. But when you flip to the defensive side, We were basically stellar across all of the defensive metrics against a weak opponent, which resulted in the huge margin of victory in this win. Now, when we go to the next game, this is the one that we want to spend a bit more time on. And that was the 66-60 win at Xavier, notoriously one of the toughest places to play. And the students were camping out days in advance to get tickets to the game versus our highly ranked Cougars. Bill, why don't you kick off and what are your thoughts on our win against Xavier. Okay, yeah, absolutely. One shout out I want to give real quickly. I watched the game at a at a H Association watch party. They're awesome. They're huge supporters of U of H athletics. Of course, they are letter winners, but they put on a great event. Even Santa Claus was there, and uh, you know they listened to the podcast. And so I just want to give a shout out to the to the H Association. Back to Xavier, definitely really good first true road game. Uh, we got the win. Uh, yeah, I thought we played very well. I know it's a kind of a weekly comment that I make, and that is that Shed is just so good. He's so important to this team. You know, we lost, essentially lost our lead in the second half when when he picked up a kind of a questionable fourth foul. Yeah. Uh, he got back in with about just under six and a half minutes left, kind of stabilized everything, and, you know, we took the lead and, and held it the rest of the way. He. He is so valuable to this team, and, and I just can't over overstate that. thing about U of H is that U of H is a, is a better team, and, and this is kind of opposite A&M, which we'll get into. 
we're a better team when the officials let the game be played. You know, U of H commits a lot of fouls, and and that's to be expected. They're you know extraordinarily aggressive defensively on the boards, offensively and defensively. There were 50 fouls called in this game, 27 against U of H. It, it was hard to get into a flow, and, and I think that helped Xavier much more so than it did us. And uh, if, if the referees let the game be played, I think we win this game by 15 points. I think Cryer played a really strong game again, uh, which was critical. Francis and, and Roberts were solid on the boards. They played well, Roberts played well. Surprisingly, they out-rebounded us. They out-rebounded us by one on the offensive boards as well. And they're an aggressive team. And I think, again, they were enabled a little bit by the quick whistles and, and uh, benefited them to an extent. But, yeah, overall, I thought I thought we played well. The defense was good. Uh, Oliveri hit some tough shots in the second half. But uh, overall, I've got nothing but positives about you know, in terms of this game, it was the first, like I said, true road game. I thought we played well, the f- a ton of fouls, but th- that's a byproduct of the officiating. Yeah, I completely agree. We had read somewhere, I think it was on gokooks.com, where if you look at the refs that were managing the game against Xavier, that they had a game the night before, I believe. And, you know, there's these statistics where when these refs are doing back-to-back games and they don't they can't handle the running up and down that they'll just call more fouls. So they'll just call it tighter to slow things down a bit. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but there are folks out there that do the analysis and claim that that's a very common trend. Well, with that, how about you, Tom? What'd you think of the game? Uh, yeah, Steve, I think that's a valid point about, uh, you know, you, you, you call a game the night before, <laughs> you call a game <laughs> the night before, and then, yeah, just blow a whistle and give yourself a breather. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if that's I'm not sure if that's what happened, but yeah, I have lots of thoughts on the Xavier game. Number one, I had to record the game because I had my own game myself, and then <laughs> sorry, uh, we were texting during I... the game too. So hopefully what? that didn't. Uh, we were texting during the game, the three of us. So hopefully that yeah, didn't ruin the. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had some. I had some time between the the JV boys and the varsity boys, so uh, you know, kind of watched a little bit. I mi- I missed the end, so. It saved my cheeks from getting too puckered, you know, uh, at the <laughs> at, at the end because I knew he won. But a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, first one I'll say is the big three: uh, Shed, Roberts, Cryer. When one of those three are off the floor, it's not good. So those three are key. Keep them, you know. Hopefully they're injury free the whole year. Keep them out of foul trouble. You know, things are going to happen in basketball that you can't control. One of them is, uh, you know, refs calls. You can only control your attitude and your effort, you know, and found out about Shed on that call. And Bill, don't be offended, but I'm going to correct you. You called it a questionable call, right? I've tried to be nice. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, This is an adult show, right, Steve? Yes, it is. It was a horseshit call. (laughs) It it was. uh, Shed's fourth. He drives in, probably got fouled on the shot. You know, when the ball goes off the glass, he gets his offensive rebound. And he got he goes back up, and I don't know what they called, but that was uh, I made notes here. We were up forty six thirty four when that happened. Yeah, uh, I charted every possession on offense and defense uh, after he went out. I'm not going to bore people with all the details, but it hurt us on offense and defense. Um, I mean, it just didn't hurt us one end of the floor. Our, you know, our defense suffered, our offense suffered. 
So, you know, Shed is indispensable. And I'm kind of preaching to the choir here because we all know his value to the team. That was, uh, you know, that's a big key. Another one is uh, our good old buddy, Olivari, the rice transfer. Somebody needs to tell him they lost. <laughs> you know, he he was kind of hamming it up there for a while. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, dude, you took an L. Go home. All right. <laughs> no. I, I don't know about about y'all, but I thought uh, this was a game where maybe the small lineup hurt us a little bit. I thought Terrence kind of got pushed around and shoved. I he did. I rewound. I played. Uh, you know, and I looked at some instances where you know he just basically. I mean, he didn't get shoved, but you know, big guys were using their lower body strength and kind of moving them out for offensive rebounds. One time they went high low, ball got in the middle of the floor. Uh, Terrence was guarding one of their bigs, and uh, they went high low. I'm sure our coaching staff is uh, is looking at. And speaking of which, you know, good coach, good coaches can identify a problem. Great coaches like Coach Sampson, you know, can identify the problem and, and fix it. So total confidence in our coaching staff. Another key point here is I want to talk about Damian Dunn. Uh, you know, he got benched. He went tough. one on four. Uh, there was a. It, it wasn't really a tran- maybe a transition for a split second where maybe he had like a one. Maybe it was one on one, but Xavier got back on defense. And he drove, and literally it was uh, it was one on, one on four, and he kind of flailed up a shot. Well, he was benched, and he stayed on the bench until uh, I think it was when Shed picked up his four and he got back in. So I think the Jackson State game and the Rice game are going to be huge for for Damian. You know, he missed some free throws. He missed three free throws. Yeah. He's been a good free throw shooter throughout his career, and uh, he's got to give us some value. And one of them is, you know, when you get fouled, you, you make your free throws. I think I could be wrong, but I think he's hunting his shot too much. He needs to play to the culture of our basketball program, which is, you know, we move the ball. We all have a role, and I think he's maybe hunting for a shot too much. Yeah. Um, you know, I think right now the best role that would fit him is mostly like a catch and shoot. Yeah. Because we have guys like Cryer and Shed. You know, they can penetrate. They can break defenses down. So I think he'd be better off just catching and shooting instead of, I wouldn't say dominating the ball, but when, you know, when the ball gets to him, it kind of sticks. And then, uh, you know, the ball stops moving, and that's never any good. So we'll see. I think this is a big couple of big games coming up for for Damian. We'll see how he plays there. So those are my thoughts on the Xavier game. So I was curious. I mean, you made a really really good point, and I, I wanted both of you guys to to maybe respond to this one. And and we chatted a little bit around Damian Dunn. I, I still have high confidence that he's going to contribute in a big way for us this year. I think his game is perfectly suited, but I think he's still adjusting. And to your point. Hunting for his shots. If you look at how he played at Temple last year, his most effective play was when he, it's a catch and shoot, exactly as you said, or he's posting down low and gets fed the ball. I mean, what I'm seeing right now, there's too much. If he's out on the perimeter and slowly trying to dribble in and backing in, and that, he's just not, he just doesn't seem really good at that. And quite honestly, he's playing against much quicker players now with the big 12 and you know folks like xavier and things like that what are your guys's thoughts on that i'll, I'll go ahead and take this one bill then you can chime in it's not temple he's not playing for i don't know i can't remember whose temple yep. coach was former player for temple you know i mean it's just different standards you know uh, he was asked to do different things at temple coach sampson's a different type of coach than than uh, you know the temple coach and and maybe he's maybe damien's just second guessing him, himself too much Unsure, okay, is this a good shot in our system? Yeah. Is this a bad? And then you go for a shot, you know, and that's what you're thinking. Instead of thinking about making the shot, you're thinking about, you know, is this a good shot for 
for our team, for our system. And that, that can affect your shooting. You know, you're not shooting yeah. with a lot of confidence when that, when that happens. What do you think, Bill? I, I had mentioned, I think the first time I came on the podcast, it, it was a very early game. Dunn came out and hit a bunch of shots. I think yeah. he had a 14 point right off the bat. And then, and then he, he got a little overly aggressive and, and yeah, I've seen that uh, a number of times since uh, he, he certainly has been much more successful offensively when he's getting his shots out of the flow of the offense and he's not trying to force things. Uh, I think the jury for me is still going to be a little bit out. And I know that when he, the one on four was hopefully an aberration. I'm not entirely sure that I'm, have an issue with him putting the ball on the floor and trying to get to the basket and, and get fouled because he is a good free throw shooter and you know he missed the three right off the bat but he and I get on you know them for poor shooting poor free throw shooting especially and and we did hit most of the free throws down the stretch when it really mattered so I, I was really pleased with that I think it's just got to be a little better decision making you know when to put your head down and try to get to the basket. Uh, but if he's doing it like in the one on 40 and he kind of makes up his mind to do it when it's just not there, that that's when it's going to hurt us. Um, yeah. I think putting the ball on the floor can be good. I just think that he's he's got to do it when the correct situation presents itself. Yeah, now that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know the, that. Go, go, go ahead, Steve. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, like I mean, even a blind person can see that one on four was is not going to go in with Coach Sampson, and it makes me wonder. You know, him and Khalif Battle they they didn't start for about eight or nine games last year, and you know, in Temple season, it makes you wonder uh, what was what was going on with that. Yeah, but I don't want to compare him to Khalif Battle. They're completely too. I mean, Khalif Battle takes crazy, crazy shots. I, I don't see Damian Dunn doing that. Right? He still yeah. tries to play with him within himself. I think his game is exactly as Bill had stated, getting to the line, which is what we need. We don't have enough guys taking it to the hoop and getting fouled and and getting free throws. So he's exactly what we need, in my opinion. He just needs to find himself, right, quite honestly. And, you know, for the Xavier game, I called it a statement game because it's Big 12 versus Big East on the road at a place even when Cincy was at its peak, always struggled to win at. And even though they lost Fremantle at the beginning of the season, they are still number 39 in Ken Palm. And so if we look at the starters for this game, we had Jamal Shedd, Cryer, Roberts, Francis. And this time we had Sharp actually starting in place of Dunn. So back in as a starter and Tom, I think he's in there to stay. So kudos to you for predicting this in the preseason. You were the only one that was predicting and, him. To you play. know, and for full disclosure, then the next episode, I remember <laughs> I back, remember I backtracked because, yeah. because I thought, I thought sharp was uh, uh, just solely a, a one and a two. Yeah. And yeah. then I said, Oh, okay. So our starting three is going to be done or Arsenal. And yeah. I was wrong on that one too. So, Thanks. No, but but Sharp's been. I mean, he's. You look at how he's contributed, and uh, he's been doing really well, even at his size. Our rotation tightened up considerably against a much tougher opponent in Xavier, and even with Shed's foul troubles, we stayed with an eight-man rotation, with only Tugler, Dunn, and Arsenal playing any significant minutes. Malik Wilson, our primary point guard backup coming in, only played two minutes. 
and was beyond ineffective at a minus 14.4 in box score plus minus. I hope he improves in practice because we can really use him to spell shed and others, but I'm not entirely confident it will happen. In a really tight battle to the end, our backcourt of Shed and Cryer were key. And with Shed's foul trouble limiting him to 28 minutes, it was Cryer's coming out party. 23 points, four rebounds, only one turnover in 38 minutes where he had to carry the load scoring, defending, and handling the ball. And he defended hard all game long. But guys, you know who quietly had a stellar game and took away a ton of valuable learnings in this game? It was my favorite. No, (laughs) unfortunately. I know you're going with Tugler. I am. My favorite player, Tugler, only played 13 minutes before fouling out. But boy, he took advantage of those 13 minutes to make winning plays. He had six rebounds. Six points, two blocks, all at critical times when things were at their tightest, and it showed in the advanced analytics, where Tugler was a game-best plus 13.4 in his limited time on the court. Terrence Arsenault, yeah, he had a much better game, actually, than the last, though it didn't show up in the box score, and Roberts was his usual steadying force with nine points, 12 rebounds, and two blocks. As a team, we got off to a fast start in both halves, being up 16-4 on a Tugler tip-in, ending up five up at the half. Then we took a 10-2 start in the second half, and it looked like we could actually run away with it. And then Shed got called for that phantom fourth foul at the 13-46 mark. Then it became a battle where we almost became a one-man show with Cryer doing everything on offense with the other four basically standing around. It was the defense that kept us in the game until Xavier took their very first lead, 52-51 at the 6 minute and 52 second mark. Crowd goes nuts. Would have been easy for the Cougars to just fold at that point. But then the critical turning point play was where Sharp, who had struggled quite honestly offensively, going 2 for 12 on the night, took it hard to the hoop to draw the foul. Sunk both free throws quiet at the crowd, and we retook the lead. Jed comes back in at the 6 minute and 34 second mark, and we claw our way to the win on the road. Huge, huge win. If you dig into the analytics from Kempom, our offense effective field goal percentage was very low. I mean, Xavier played really hard-nosed D. We shot 40.16% effective field goal percentage, where our norm is around the 52% range, but we protected the ball extremely well with only 15.74% turnovers, which is just standard. Our offensive rebound, we did that well as well after a rough start at 35.9%, which is right at standard as well. But really, the difference was on D. I mean, we were playing basically, you know, potentially the toughest team that we played thus far, and we were exceptional. We weren't just good. We were exceptional. We limited Xavier to 36.36% effective field goal percentage. That's well below our norms. Forced them to 23.86% turnovers, also well above our norm. Limited their three-point shooting percentage to 25%, which is incredible. And we blocked 23.08% of their two-point shots. Basically, we exceeded all of our overall defensive norms from last year against a tough highly skilled Big East team on the road. So that's what I mean by a statement win. 
So from my perspective, a great win for our Cougars who earned a long break before I think tomorrow's game is with Rice, where we're not going to waste any time on the podcast covering. So now let's just go to the upcoming games for UH with Jackson State up first. Tom, what do you think? Mentioned this uh, previously in the podcast today, but in uh, my humble opinion, I think this game against Jackson State's a big game for three guys. I think it's a big game for Damian Dunn, for Malik Wilson, and also for Ramon Walker uh, in the Xavier game. I, th- I think Ramon just got a couple of minutes. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, my, my memory's kind of fade me here, but uh, I think he did get in the game. You know, so I think this he game is a big two one minutes. for those three. Jackson State, two and six. Somehow they beat Missouri. I don't know if Missouri, you know, the whole team had food poisoning or something, but Missouri lost to them at home. Wow. Um, you look at Jackson State, they're 263 in Kempom. So I think, you know, we, we should take care of business. Hopefully, you know, there's not a whole lot of sloppy play. And then we, we get to empty the bench and, and uh, like I said, or maybe get some guys like uh, Malik and, and Ramon some playing time. Uh, you know, when Ram- Ramon gets in there, you know, he, you know he's in there for a reason. And it's not going to be for scoring, so he needs to do the little things. Just make sure he is where he's supposed to be, like on the monster. I think it was in the Montana game, I think it was. Uh, you know, I kind of rewound the tape there, and we monstered, and it looked like Ryan and Ramon weren't where they were supposed to be, and Montana got a layup. So, you know, when you get when your number's call and you get in the game, these are the little things that you have to do. But big game for Malik, I think for the rest of the year because completely agree it's going to happen you know she has going to get hurt maybe maybe tweak an ankle or something or maybe a hip he's going there's going to be some bad calls by officials that's going to send him to the bench and it's in those situations you know uh, you know yeah we can probably put crier at the lead guard but also i think sometime uh, during the rest of the season wilson's going to have to step up and and be a contributor yeah not many games left to gain the confidence of coach sampson right so he's, he's got to take advantage of this next game, right? Yep. Okay, what do you think, Bill? Yeah, I, I largely agree. This is going to be a, you know, a Montana, a Rice. There are not <laughs> going to be any challenges in this game. It's going to be an opportunity to give Shed some rest. It's going to be an opportunity, most likely, to give Cryer some rest. Roberts, it's going to be an opportunity to get everyone on the floor. Just like Tom had mentioned, you know, this is a game where the guys that aren't playing a whole lot, Ramon, Wilson, you know, even even a couple of the others, uh, Don, probably Tugler. The only the only issue I've I've had with Tugler is that, and, and this is strictly because he's young, he, he commits a few too many fouls, and, and <laughs> yeah. that's going to happen when you're young. <laughs> you're, you're gonna you're gonna get out of position from time much. to time. He did he did. I'll say this: he committed. I think it was his fourth foul. But he set a pick offensively against Xavier. He was absolutely dead solid set, and they called him because they had called two or three, and it you know kind of a makeup call. But it's an opportunity. They're going to be playing guys that are not as talented, not as just not as anything, and so it it's going to be an opportunity for them to to play well. Hopefully, not get overly aggressive. I know Wilson Wilson surprised me in that he likes to put the ball up. Yeah, he may be done, even Arsenault to an extent. I think there's an opportunity to play within the system. You're going to get shots. They're just not good enough to defend us. We're going to get shots. Just don't force things and, and you know play hard like we always do, and, and it's going to be a route. 
Yeah. I got it, a question. I got a question for you guys. Three. Sorry, Steve, again. Mm-hmm. Do you think Tugler will start this year or do you think he continues to come off the bench? Bench. I think that as long as he doesn't play stupidly, Javier has his has his limitations, but he's been there. He's now been with the team for, for a few years. He's Calvin's going to play him. I think that because he's a freshman, I think that he's going to get into games very quickly as he has so far. I would be surprised if he started over Francis. One more question for y'all. Yeah. Well, hold, hold on. Let me answer that one. Okay. Let me answer okay. that one before you okay. ask that question. Go so, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so I'm not sure he's necessarily going to start. I don't really care who starts, quite honestly. But I think by the middle of conference play, he'll play more minutes than Francis in the middle. As long as he doesn't foul out, he'll get more fouls. That's right. Fouls. Yeah. Fouls aside, I I don't disagree with you, Steve. Yeah. I mean, you know, the first game that we play against Baylor where Francis's foot lateral foot speed is just not quick enough to to stay with his man. I mean, that that'll be the turning point, right? We've been playing for the most part, mediocre teams at this point. So it's fine with Francis in there. We start playing these better teams and he's a half steps too slow laterally to defend. Yeah, we can't have that because we'll we'll start losing more games. And I think as long as, you know, Tugler doesn't foul out, he'll get the bulk of the minutes at the five. Okay, next question, real quick. Tugler's game, who does it remind you of? Anybody? Uh, College Pro? Purvis Ellison. Purvis Ellison from uh, never, way back never, when. Never nervous Purvis? Yeah, from Louisville yeah, days. Yeah, I saw him his freshman year at the Summit uh, Regional Finals. Yeah. And they played, uh, I think it was North Carolina. Yeah, never nervous Purvis. So he reminds Boston, you of Boston him? Boston Duke in the championship in yeah. 86, same year. Yeah, yeah, he was great. He was great. I mean, obviously, he was a much more polished player than, than Tugler mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. but... Uh, but the game. Okay. I was just trying to, you know, I was, I was just trying to come up with a player that Tugler reminds me of. Yeah. A little yeah, bit I'm of Sam Perkins to, too, but yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to think about that. Uh, caught me off guard on that one. His, his arms are so long. So long. Yeah. It, it's just got that incredible wingspan. Perkins definitely had long arms. Perkins, yeah. Perkins played the perimeter much better. Yes. Much better. He was always a, <laughs> Great, great perimeter player. I mean, he shot yeah. threes very well in the NBA. Yeah, uh, yeah. That th- that would. I'll have to think about that one. Tugler is just so unique. I mean, you know, six seven and arms like he's seven seven. It's it's. Uh, I mean, he he's really he's really unique. Hey, so next time you guys are actually at the game because I think you guys will be at a game before I will be uh, making it back into town. I, I'm curious as to whether you truly believe he's six foot seven because I think he's taller, right? Whenever I see him standing next to the rest of our players, either either everyone else is like six foot six or six foot five, or we're sandbagging Tugler's height because I think he's grown. So not only is his wingspan, but I think his just general height is taller than six foot seven. But I, I'd be curious as to what you guys think. JoJo did take a three at the first game of the year. Did he really? I don't remember that. <laughs> Do you guys remember that one? No, I do not. I don't. <laughs> yeah, it was it was either the first or second game. Yeah, look at look at the stats. He he took a three. It, it was after that or what? I don't know. It was 
it was one. Uh, I think we were up like okay, three thousand. Yeah. I think we were up like three thousand points, and <laughs> and he got the ball on the right right wing, and he just tossed one up. Okay, I mean, I think we're going to be. I think we will be seeing that. Yeah, if you're going to be mad about something, you got to be mad that he <laughs> stole one of Elvin's attempts. Yeah, really? Uh, no yeah. kidding. Well, I, I'm not going to spend much time on the the Jackson State game. I mean, we're we're number one now in Ken Palm, and as Woo-hoo. you stated, you know, Jackson State's two sixty three. It's really not going to be much of a competition. And really what they're bad at, we're good at. So it's going to be a massacre. And I'm predicting another one of those 30-point type wins. And they're just like three, you guys. They're going to yep. be 363 after this game. Yeah, yep, yeah, possibly. But but I'm with you guys. I want to see Arsenal and Dunn get going. I want to see Wilson and Walker get the requisite minutes to regain some of the confidence from Coach. And hoping they can do that because we need at least a – a few more guys to be able to contribute going into a really, really brutal Big 12 slate. So we'll see, hopefully. Now next, let's get into our marquee game this next week, and that's against Texas A&M, right? Big-time matchup against a close-by SEC team in Texas A&M. What's your coach's perspective on the game, Tom? Goes back to Buzz William, the you know the AM coach. He teaches uh, you know a lot of the stuff that Coach Sampson preaches. You know tough toughness, discipline. But you know what? AM's given up a lot of points in in some of their games. I uh, can't remember uh, who scored a bunch. It might have been FAU. Did they play FAU? FAU. They gave up FAU a lot. FAU you know, scored so, a ton. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, uh, you know so you know Buzz preaches toughness. Uh, you know the hard nose, the physical play, the offensive rebounding. Uh, when I look at AM. You know, they're going to hang their hat on their man-to-man, but they did show a little bit of uh, like a one-two-two, three-quarter court. I can't remember who was watching them play. Uh, it might have been Iowa State, maybe the game before that. Anyway, sometimes they'll do it on a made basket, sometimes after a timeout. Sometimes there'll be uh, a soft press where it's basically just like a nuisance press, and then sometimes they will hard trap. So it, it just depends on what Buzz's call is. But, you know, it's going to be a good matchup. Uh, you're going to have teams that have, they're going to try to do the same thing to each other. You know, they're both teams are going to try to hit the offensive rebound and they're going to try to get, you know, at least 50% of their misses. You know, I think we do, we, we do this style better. I think we're the OG, you know, uh, yeah. uh, when you talk about, you know, the toughness, the discipline, the rebound and the shot selection, uh, all those things, uh, you know, we're the, you know, we're the standard bearer on that. Uh, originally I had us losing this game. I think when we did our, preseason yeah. thing steve mm-hmm. i had us going through non-conference undefeated and then i had us with our one loss at AM. but now that we've seen some games here i think we up it a notch and i think we i think we win this game henry coleman the third the duke transfer i know he didn't play a couple of games because he was injured i'm not sure what his status is but he's a he's a load inside he's mm-hmm. going to be a person to be reckoned with wade taylor the fourth uh, the sec player of the year last year i take shed any day Twice Absolutely. on Sundays, and I'm not saying Taylor is not not a good player, but what I've seen so far this year, I'm taking I'm taking Jamal Shedd uh, in this matchup. But that if they guard each other, that's a that's a heck of a yeah. You know, that's going to be a great TV to watch. Nice. How about you, Bill? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, A and M six and two, and that includes losing two of their last three. FAU, we've mentioned the game that I, I watched a lot of was they're at Virginia, and exactly the opposite of of FAU. They lost by 11, I believe, 
but they scored 47 points. One thing to mention about that game is that is and, and Tom, you mentioned Taylor and Coleman. Uh, their strength is is their backcourt, and their two guard Tyrese Radford did not play against Virginia. Losing one player should not should not cause you to dip to 47 points. The fact that A and M cannot shoot the ball is why they scored 47 points. Yeah, exactly. And once again, this is gonna. It kind of sucks that the officials could play a bigger role than than they should in this game and you would hope that they would always err on the side of letting them play you know keeping the flow let, letting everything go but if if A&M gets the line a ton it's going to it's going to be a tight game and if not i i think we win this game by 7 to 10 henry coleman did play in this game recently against virginia so he's he's 100% back he's healthy he led A&M both in scoring and rebounding in that game. So he will absolutely be there. He's really good. You know, I had written down, and, and you kind of alluded to it, Tom, about Shed over, over Wade Taylor. Shed and Cryer can neutralize and absolutely outplay Taylor and Radford. I expect it. Uh, they've shown it consistently so far. We're, we're going to outplay them. Our guards are going to outplay them for sure. As long as Shed, Roberts, Tugler, and everybody else aren't on the bench because the the referees can't stop blowing their whistles, I, I think we win this game by seven to ten points, maybe twelve. Yeah. How are tickets selling for this game? Anybody know? I have no idea. Very well. California. <laughs> what type? Yeah. What type of crowd we might see? I, yeah, I, I think it's, seen anything. it's a good crowd. I, keep in mind that the prelude to this game is. And I think it's the first game. It's I'm Texas, right? It is. Texas, it's Texas and, LSU. Yeah. So. So yeah, you got Texas, you got A and M, and you got us. So it's yeah, it's it's sold very well so far. Yeah, it's a it's a great event, right? Great and teams there. there. Yeah. I will definitely be there. Nice, nice. We'll want to hear about it. So I mean, from an analytics perspective, we're number one, as we stated earlier on. Texas A and M is number thirteenth. So on paper, this should be our toughest game so far this season. Both play at a very slow pace. They're grinding games on both sides, so expect a rock fight. If you look offensively, we're 17th in adjusted offensive efficiency. They're 56th in adjusted defensive efficiency, and I have to admit, that has surprised me. I think even if you look back the last few years, that's about where they've been at. They haven't been like a top 10 defensive team, even though reputationally, everyone seems to suggest that they're just some awesome defensive team. But they've been, you know, 40s, 50s. Their best year was, I think, two years ago, they were 30th. And that's the best. And before that, they were around 100. So again, maybe from a reputation perspective, Buzz had those Virginia Tech teams playing, you know, hard-nosed D and higher-ranked Ds, but I I didn't check on that. On the flip side, we're number one adjusted defensive efficiency. They're 13th adjusted offensive efficiency. AM is the worst shooting team around. Well, not worse, but they're worse than us at number 265 in effective field goal percentage. But they are exceptional at offensive rebounding, even better than us. They're number one in the country. You know, matched up against our number two ranked effective field goal percentage D that defends every shot, it's going to be tough going for Texas A&M to score. So expect a really physical grinding game 
low scoring game. On the other side, Texas A&M's D looks good. If you look at all the stats, they're good in most of the areas, but nothing in that green segment where they're like top 40 in the country. It's so everything's between 100 and 150, and then you combine it all together, then they get a semi-decent defensive overall efficiency ranking, but nothing exceptional. So this is going to be a tight one, I believe, similar to the Utah game from a score perspective. And though you guys gave me a tough time on claiming Xavier would be our toughest out-of-conference game, I'm sticking to that, and I'm anticipating a 10-point win here, given that it's in, uh, in Houston. So now, finally, let's preview a few games of interest across the Big 12 during the next week or so. And so, Bill, maybe you want to kick things off in, you know, what game kind of catches your eye within the Big 12 that you're going to be paying close attention to here? Well, we, we previously talked about uh, the games, and I talked about the Texas Marquette game previously. We, we thought I'd update that. that uh, They have played some particularly Marquette, some big-name games since. And uh, I guess start real quickly with Marquette. They're 6-2 they're and two now. They're still ranked number 10. They've lost la- two of their last three. They Since the win against Kansas that we talked about, they ended up losing to Purdue. Not, not, not a big surprise. They were the underdog, the finals of the Maui tournament, they lost. The the bigger surprise, and, and I watched this one from start to finish, being from Milwaukee and having attended the University of Wisconsin for a couple of years, <laughs> was the Marquette-Wisconsin game on Saturday. Yeah. And Wisconsin did to Marquette exactly what I, I assumed Kansas was going to do. Wisconsin's a bigger team. Marquette is going to be the smaller team against virtually everyone they play, as we've discussed. Wisconsin went inside. They scored inside. They, they were effective. Marquette, it's kind of surprised me. They, they were loose with the basketball. They turned it over. They, they didn't play well. You know, I don't know if it's coming off the Maui tournament and you know the big games that they had played against Kansas and Purdue, but they did not look good at all. Come on, Bill. They have the best point guard in America. Well, <laughs> you're you're right about that, Jay Billis, uh, and uh, yeah. So Marquette is is typically extremely efficient offensively, and it's just a, a you know they, they've they've got to figure out how to defend inside, and they've got to protect the ball. Texas is has uh, you know they've they've played well. They're seven and one uh, since the UConn loss. They've had two blowout wins. Nothing nothing to even mention because they're just nothing teams. Yep. The one thing about those two blowout wins is that their their transfer, their uh, Max Abbas, uh, the transfer from Oral Roberts, is big time scorer, and he's beginning to lead them in in scoring kind of nightly. Uh, their other really good player, their point guard, who happens to be from where I'm from, Racine, Wisconsin, uh, Tyrese Hunter. They've got a strong backcourt, although they do turn the ball over. So I think Marquette may have a slight edge there. Where Texas should dominate, just like Wisconsin did, is is the front court. They've got two really good players, 6'8", Dylan Mitchell, 6'9", uh, uh, Dylan Disu. Both went to the draft combine. Texas has a deep team. They're athletic. If they get good guard play, they could be really good. Uh, not U of H good, but but very good. The issue for them is they don't always play good man-to-man defense, and Marquette can take advantage of that. I think Texas overall has a little more talent, but it's being played in Milwaukee. And as my 
coworker Kevin mentioned, and I previously stated this, Shaka Smart's a great coach, but if he's on the floor, Texas can't win. So <laughs> it's got it's got to be Marquette by by maybe four to six points. Okay, yeah, good call. I uh, like that. How about you, Tom? Which game are you paying attention to? I had a couple, so I'll make these real quick. Uh, I had Providence and OU just for the simple fact that I had OU in my preseason predictions in Big Twelve way down on the bottom. Uh, I was. It's kind of hard to tell right now. I mean, OU seven and zero. They beat Iowa, which I'm not saying much there. They also <laughs> beat USC when USC was ranked. So big matchup with Providence. Full disclosure again: the game was on. OU won at home, seventy two fifty one over Providence. Providence they beat Wisconsin by thirteen. Uh, they lost to K State in a close game. They also uh, lost to Georgia. So. Yeah, big win for OU. They they go to eight and zero. OU has uh, in the next three games they have Arkansas and they have uh, North Carolina. So wow. we'll learn more about Oklahoma, especially after the North Carolina game. Another game I had was uh, BYU at Utah. Another, in my opinion, not the Bills, but uh, in my opinion, BYU's a surprise team. I had also had them on the bottom of the Big Twelve. They're seven and zero right now. Big battle with Utah. They call this a holy war jihad, you know, in Utah. <laughs> uh, so BYU's beat, they beat San Diego State. They beat Arizona State, which I don't think is very good this year. They beat NC State. Not quite sure how good they are. So, so that's going to be a, a big game. We have Utah joining the Big 12 next year. Yep. You know, so this will be a conference game next year. Utah has beaten St. Mary's. Uh, they beat Wake Forest. I don't think Wake Forest is going to be too terribly good this year. St. Mary's was one of my top 25 teams, uh, disappointing seasons for St. Mary's so far, but you know, Utah beat them. And of course uh, we beat Utah. So that's the game. I believe it's on Saturday. That's worth, worth people's attention, future conference game. And then uh, me being from the land that time forgot Iowa. I've also looked at the Iowa, Iowa state game. I believe that one's on Friday. Iowa five and three, very very soft team. You know they're they're Charmin soft. <laughs> ISU six and two. Not sure how good Iowa State is yet. Yeah, it, it's 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 too early in the season to tell. They beat VCU. They lost to Virginia Tech and A and M. And um, you know the rest of the games Iowa State had were just uh, just a bunch of cupcakes. Uh, you know you're looking at Ken, Ken Palm teams in the. 280s to 300 so that's kind of a game worth watching here uh, being an Iowa resident but I think and that game's in aim so I think Iowa State's a rivalry game I think Iowa State will win I'd say um, seven to nine points okay yeah and for me I'm looking at the Baylor Michigan State game you're talking about Baylor at number six in Ken Palm Michigan State number 19 in Ken Palm you start looking at adjusted offensive efficiency Baylor is number one in the country And then on the flip side with Michigan State being number seven in adjusted defensive efficiency. If you look on the flip side, Baylor is number 44 in adjusted defensive efficiency. And Michigan State is number 64 in adjusted offensive efficiency. Both teams are very guard and wing focused teams. I'll be interested in seeing the Baylor triplets of Ray J. Dennis, Jalen Bridges, and Jacoby Walter versus Tyson Walker, A.J. Hoggard, and Jaden Akins 
Should be a fun game. Strength versus strength with elite Baylor offense versus elite Michigan State defense. And I'm anticipating a really tight game with potentially something around a four-point win by Baylor. So that's it for this episode eight of No Conference for Old Men podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it. And again, would really appreciate it if you follow, subscribe, or collect our podcast, depending on your podcast platform of choice. We appreciate all the support, loyalty for those that have been with us from day one. It keeps us going and continues to reinforce our view that there's an interest out there for the deep college hoops insights we're trying to provide for Cougars and Big 12 fans. Also, please give us a follow on our Twitter account, No Conference for Old Men. Thank you all again for listening. And episode number nine should come out after the Texas A&M game. With fewer games on the docket due to the holidays, we'll focus this next episode on summarizing the Big 12 Big East Challenge results, since some of those games are still to be played at this point. So please be on the lookout to listen, download the next episode. Thanks again, everyone.